Today's episode of On the Edge with Andrew Gold is brought to you by language learning app Babbel. Very recently, I have been on the receiving end of a sort of stalking and harassment campaign from uh, someone, an incel, who now I know who it is. That was very scary at first because it included threats to my family and (gasps) things like that. Today, we're going on a deep dive into a murky and shadowy world. Nama Cates is an actress and musician best known for her work with extremists, and in particular, incels. For the unaware, an incel is an involuntary celibate, which refers, but is not limited, to a man who feels that he is either physically or mentally too unattractive to find a mate of the female variety. While many of these men are simply depressed or lonely, When they come together through online communities, it can sometimes result in something of a toxic environment. Incels are often linked, fairly or not, to school shootings in the States, for example. Other times they're considered white supremacists, even though Nama points out that many are not white. What is undeniable is that the atmosphere in these communities can be pretty misogynist, and that certain individuals within the community have been known to be aggressive in their condemnation of women. They use a language of their own, too, which Nama explains. And what really interests me, in addition to the incels themselves, is Nama, who's done a lot of fascinating work alongside Jesse Morton, who was on the show a few weeks ago, in de-radicalizing extremists. She appears to see her role as helping deeply depressed and lonely people through hard times. They often appear on her podcast, Incel, shot up with heroin, cocaine and other drugs, while discussing suicide. It's pretty intense. But Nama also speaks about how she's been heavily criticized online by reviewers who believe she's gotten too close to some of these incels and offered up too much empathy. We'll talk about the precariousness of the position she finds herself in, somewhere between de-radicalizer and enabler. We'll discuss the meaning of chads, stacies, black pills, red pills, and the Pepe the Frog meme. It's often used in incel forums, but has also been appropriated by the alt-right movement and white supremacists on the infamous 4chan message board. We were recording after midnight my time, so forgive my misspeakings, which isn't a word, but neither is given in mind an expression, but that didn't stop me using it, and a few other phrases that don't exist and sound weird that I notice while editing later. The fact that many incels express views that a lot of us would find offensive, sexist, and whatever else goes without saying. What I like about Nama is she puts herself in the firing line to really get to the humanity and help many of them go to therapy or to, as they put it, ascend. That not only helps the incels, but the people who may have otherwise been targeted in the future by those she helps. She discusses very mildly a couple of incidents involving stalking and abuse from people in the community, but has found a way to get through to them. Near the end, she speaks honestly and very emotionally, I thought, about her own demons and the traits and experiences she shares with the incels, despite coming from the other side. Do check out her podcast, Incel, on all the normal apps and platforms. It's a really intense and fascinating look at a world I certainly knew little about. Find her on Twitter as well on at NamaKates. I'm on AndrewGold underscore OK on Twitter and Instagram. By the way, I'm excited to say I got my first real host read ad, It means the podcast can start to go professional little by little. You can, of course, avoid that and hear our 15-minute bonus interview by going to patreon.com slash andrewgold. 
but I will explain more at the end today about the ads and why they got a run. I also realised that Nama is planning to post this on her podcast stream, so welcome to all of her audience and I hope you find a new home while also staying with Nama's home, but you've got two homes, on the On the Edge with Andrew Gold podcast. For now, here's Nama. So it seems to be doing really well, so congratulations on it. <laughs> Thank you. It was doing uh, really well uh, quite early on, and then things got a bit busy and you know, um, I, I've noticed that consistency with this type of content, I think with podcasts, YouTubers, things like that, being consistent is incredibly important to, you know, retaining your audience. Do you notice a big drop off then? You know, like if you don't do it for a few weeks, then you come back. Yes. Oh, huge. Yeah. Huh. Even if you start to become like a little bit less consistent for a while, or even if the, the days change, you know, for the first six months or so, I was having it come out really every week at the exact same time too. And I think that people just kind of come to depend on, you know, you being there, spending there, whatever it is that they're doing, commute back in the day when we had those things. Um, and if it kind of isn't there for a little while, they might find something else to replace it with. So, Oh, man got to build it back up yeah tell me a bit about you then in your background because you are uh, not only a podcaster you you have been or are an actress and singer as well have been is a good way to put it in a past life <laughs> have been can still can still mean present so i was very careful with my words you're right so that's actually maybe the best uh, most accurate and most careful way to phrase that question they call me the best <laughs> the goat <laughs> yeah greatest of all time <laughs> yes um so yeah i i have been those things and um i've taken a very circuitous path to what i do now but i would like to think that every every experience every past career has informed the current hmm. i suppose acting and presenting must cross over definitely in addition to acting, I kind of went on to doing more behind the scenes stuff and, uh, you know, filmmaking. You know, mm. I directed a couple of films and produced on a, a couple of them. So it's storytelling. What made you want to tell the story of incels? Well, um, that's a question that I'm still kind of trying to answer um, in a, a deep and nuanced way. And I think that it might take me some time to really find out the answer to that because I'm sure there's there's more to it than the answer I'm about to give, which is um, just that I'll start by saying I started getting really into podcasts as a, a medium. I started listening to a lot of them. Um, I just find that I'm actually a lot more inclined um, auditorily than visually which would be a problem for film, <laughs> um, to not be so visually inclined. Stories through words and, and through sound. For me, I feel there's a more kind of intimate connection to it. It's a little bit more like a, a novel. You can imagine it. You know, it's not as much sort of spoon-fed to you. I was starting to become kind of interested in, you know, true crime is obviously a genre I like quite a bit. I'm on Crawl Spaces Network. I know you interviewed with them and they're great. Yeah. I learned about incels and I had a sort of happenstance encounter with 
one. Huh. Uh, it was a yeah random uh, Twitter interaction huh. with uh, a young man that I, I didn't know why he was um, reaching out to me. He had a YouTube channel, and so I assumed that it was something professional that he wanted to talk about, you know, about creating content or whatever. And so we had scheduled a call and I realized pretty quickly into the call that he was very young and that I couldn't really tell what the goal of the call was. So I asked, you know, I said, what's the purpose of why, why did you want to talk to me? Because uh, I'm not looking for, you know, a relationship. Because that's what you assume if you interact with someone on social media, if they reach out to you that either it's going to be something work related or, you know, romance related, we'll say. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. What did he want? <laughs> I was curious too. And, uh, <laughs> and he was so kind of indignant and offended by that question. Um, and I had just sort of become aware of incels uh, that it led me to ask if he would consider himself one. His answer made it obvious that he did. And so huh. we started talking about that and I started recording the conversations. Uh, I don't know why. I guess somewhere in there I was thinking maybe I would do something like this, but I was not aware of it at the time. But I would listen back to them and I found them really, you know, just fascinating. So hmm. I began to kind of put together a treatment for a podcast. I didn't know what it would turn into. I thought maybe it would be just about this one individual. And, you know, I had come up with kind of a potential arc, like a storytelling arc of this, uh, this kid having some kind of breakthrough as a result of talking to me and my infinite wisdom, you know, <laughs> that that yeah. would be the story, uh, that I would tell. And, you know, I, I didn't end up using uh, any of my conversations with, with him because I realized it would probably be uh, unethical for... He, did he not agree to that? Well, he, he did um, initially, but it was before it was before I knew what I'd be doing and before I knew what it would become, before I even knew that it would be about incels um, per se. So, you know, I, I just kind of realized that that wasn't uh, mm. the way to go and that I'd rather start approaching people very explicitly saying that I'm, you know, going to be researching this topic and doing mm. a show about it. I think I would have just used it. I would have just, I would have said to him, like, do you mind me using it or something, if, if it was good stuff with him. What did he want then from you initially? You know, I think that he was looking to just connect with someone, with a, with a female, um, huh. even though, he, you know, he was indignant that that wasn't what he wanted. But uh, a lot of them are just kind of lonely and they do just, they lack connections of any sort, whether it's friendships or romantic relationships. Um, mm. So, you know, I don't think he exactly knew, but he's lonely. We should get on to what is an incel. So uh, an incel is uh, an involuntary celibate. It's their sort of... Um, neologism for that um someone that considers themselves involuntarily celibate so they are unable to have um sexual or romantic relationships i mean celibacy implies sex but in my experience it's usually not 
just sex that they're after. Um, it's just relationships or connection. Um, but of course the focus will be sex and, uh, it's kind of a self-identification. Um, and, uh, they're mostly young men, the ages range, obviously there's some debate within the community, whether women can be in cell, whether, uh, you know, gay men can mm. be in cells and, um, that's, Again, you know, that's a kind of a debated topic, but it generally tends to be heterosexual young men. And so are these men, in your experience, are they are they angry? The, I, I guess people listening who, who don't know incels would imagine, okay, these are angry men in a dark corner of the internet going, oh, why won't these women look at me? And sort of demanding, I mean, you use the word indignant, and I think that's how many might imagine a lot of incels. Uh, or maybe, what, what would the word be? Um like you expect that everything coming to you. Entitled. Entitled. A lot of people entitled. say, yeah. A lot yeah. of people say that they're entitled. That um, That's the perception of them. The perception is also that they are not only entitled in general, but to to sex, that they think that they are owed it by women, by whichever mm -hmm. women they want, that they want to enforce monogamy, so to speak, um, or even legally to kind of create some condition in which they uh, will be given uh, sex with the right. women that they choose. Um, and that's not the case. That's If it's said, it's usually said hyperbolically. There's a lot of very dark sort of edgelords, as they'd call it, edgy humor right. on there. Shitposting is a word that they'll use. With the, the frog. Is the frog there a lot, that green frog? Pepe, yeah. Yeah. Pepe the frog. People love that frog because <laughs> like people in these sort of dark communities... Yeah, well, it's you get a lot of crossover between these sort of subversive communities um, mm. that all kind of evolved with 4chan, you know, that image board that came about in the early 2000s. You know what's really interesting about that thing about, about Entitled, um, to, to me, is that when I was 14 or 15, yeah, I was never part of any group like that, Um or anything like that. But I do remember that feeling as a 14 or 15 year old boy and you grow up a little bit. And if the girls aren't interested in you, and I used to think like, why do they want to be with these like older cool guys and stuff like that who then end up, you know, inevitably breaking their heart or whatever. And I did have a little bit of that. And I suppose it's victimhood. Yeah. And you know, that's what teenagers have. You're supposed to have yes. a lot of victimhood and stuff at that age. But I definitely had that feeling and then as I got older, I learned that, you know, other people are people, that women are people who have their own yeah. decisions and I have my own decisions and that's what life is about. So I, I do relate to them in, in that aspect. And I suppose they took that into adulthood. Is that right? Yeah. And some of them not. Some of them aren't adults. You know, there are teenagers on these sites. Um, I've gotten a lot of listeners too will will write me men who are now, you know, in their 40s, 50s, whatever, who are married and have children and everything, and uh, and just say, you know, I felt this way when I was younger, and if this had been um, a thing, if this were available to me, then I would have related very strongly to it. Back then, it was just called being a late bloomer. Um, but they'll also kind of add that they never externalized it. They always kind of felt that the problem was with them rather than with women or with society. And yeah. I think that that's one of the thornier um, issues of this community. But yes, like you said, I think anyone can relate to these questions that they're having, especially at that age, you know, feeling 
like they're not desirable, like they're not worthy. And at that age too, it's hard to imagine things changing in the future. Yeah. I talk to so many of them that are so young and are so convinced that this is how it will always be. Mm. I, have a, and it won't, I have a memory you know. of being, I think I must have been 14 so, or 13 even. It was one of the first like parties I ever went to. And at that age, I was very tall because I'm six foot three now. And But I was that height when I was 13. I just stopped growing. So I was so tall and skinny and all this stuff. And I remember going to, it was like the first party or whatever. And I was very conscious of my height because I was jealous of the short kids who could like blend in. And I was like, you know, people could like, <laughs> people would like meet by me as like a, like a lamppost or something. They'd be like, I'll meet back at that guy later, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But um, I remember opening these doors to this party and just these two girls were there and they looked up and they sort of mockingly screamed like, ah, like that. And it was just the most horrible feeling for me. Uh, and that's just stayed with me for a long time. And I can see how, you know, these people, if, if that kind of thing is continually happening to them, that they might go that way, unfortunately, and turn their back on society. I think like a lot of other kinds of victims, maybe, do, do you think? a lot? Any When you're a victim of stuff, I mean, we had Jesse Morton on, who you know, of course, um, who, who talked a lot about that. He had a lot of trauma and he felt like a victim and it can go in a really uh, mm-hmm. you know, awful direction. Yes, and I, I would say that, you know, being cautious in my words, that there is sort of um, a cultural cachet to a victimhood narrative these days yeah. uh, that I've noticed. You know, it's epistemic privilege, being um, an oppressed, being oppressed, being somehow marginalized. Um, mm. Social capital. A sense of like, Yes, like a righteousness or it, it makes somebody morally superior. I, I don't quite understand that, but it seems to be going on, you know, that sort of the more oppressed someone is, like the more righteous they are mm-hmm. and more virtuous they are. And um, it's dangerous because a lot of, I would say, the some of the biggest problems in our society now, especially with kind of polarization and the culture wars come from this um, real identification with one's victimhood. Yeah, competitive victimhood. I wonder, I was just thinking this the other day, I wonder if it's a little bit to do with the decline of religion because it felt like people used to have religion to, to, to do whatever they wanted. They could say, well, my God says I can do that. Um, and now they can't really say that because most, at least in Europe, a lot of people don't believe in religious stuff anymore. Um, so now it's the the guise of or the cloak of uh, righteousness that comes from victimhood. Like this, this thing has happened to me, so I can do and think and say whatever I want. Um, and I, yeah, so I wonder is that is that the impression you get? Do you go on the message boards and things like that of these of the incels? Are you seeing the kinds of things they're writing? Is it quite? poisonous sometimes or is it is it should we be feeling sorry for them well i do i used to a lot more i mean i took a real deep dive into their fora or their forums fora is a great word the plural of yeah, forum i've never heard that <laughs> <laughs> i know it's a, a new one i picked up and have yeah. been trying to use not to sort of ostentatiously um <laughs> but uh the content on those was actually one of the things that made me even more drawn to the topic because after a while I found myself finding it very humorous mm. um, and just kind of getting into whatever the little subculture that they have is and their terms, their words are hilarious. A, a lot of them are very funny, you know, and kind of 
uh, intellectually curious, and they there are in addition to all the shitposting, and there's another issue that I think that you know the content and the quality of these spaces changes very rapidly because it's an internet thing. Mm. So, um, you know, they kind of devolve. And as there's increasing sort of censorship everywhere, then it really does kind of change the nature of them and more of them are becoming banned. But um, they actually, in addition to the, the ship posting, they have a lot of kind of threads about questions that are, I think, philosophical questions or kind of existential questions or even theological questions about the meaning of life and things like that that I found relatable and interesting. I suppose it's the only place they can really find community. They're people, I suppose, who feel just like they're outsiders uh, and they gather there. And you mentioned the sort of words and terms they use. Could you take me through a a few of them so that I know of Chad and Stacey? What's a Chad and what's a Stacey? Um, So a Chad would be a top-tier male, Um, you know, it was at one point the top 20%. So they like to sort of rank and rate everything. And they think that there are objective rankings and ratings for physical attractiveness, which I find very mm-hmm. untrue. It's a very personal thing, but that's what they usually believe. So that the mm-hmm. top 20%, nines and tens, are the chads. Um, you know, then there's Chad Light under that. Everyone else is kind of a, a normie or or an incel. Um, a Stacy is kind of like the equivalent of a, of a Chad for for women, but it's also in addition to it. There's sort of the idea that a Stacy is more um, I don't know, like a little bit more vapid or shallow, kind of like a, a bimbo, the privileged girl, and the Chad's kind of like a, a meathead too. Okay, so people who are better looking are stupid. Which, which probably is the case a lot of the time. I mean, if you are, some, especially if, if you're good looking as a teenager, you know, I, I'm so thankful. I, I don't think I was. And I'm so thankful of that because I knew some good looking guys who just developed no personality. Uh, because why would you? You don't have you don't have to yeah. impress everyone. I can imagine these guys, these incels are on the other extreme where they're like trying to like always think of, you know, what can I do and how can I be different and what can I you know, I think, I don't know, you don't think there's any objective sort of beauty, but surely, I mean, someone like um, the Hunchback of Notre Dame is is ugly throughout centuries and Sleeping Beauty <laughs> is beautiful for centuries. Yeah, oh, I, I don't think that there's no objective beauty. Absolutely, there there is to a degree, but there's also a great deal of sort of just personal preference. Um, and I think that when it comes to attraction, at least to female attraction, and they tend to... Um, have in some ways sort of more ideas that are a bit more traditional as far as kind of genders. And um, I would say that women, if anything, I think are a bit less uh, visually inclined or less superficial than than men are when it comes to rating an appearance. Uh, But they kind of disagree with that. But um, I think that a lot of this also is the result of dating apps and social media where people have a very a tiny little, you know, thumbnail image to kind of swipe left or right on. And that doesn't really translate into attraction in real life. I did read somewhere that on those dating apps, it was something like the top, what is it? Like the top 80% of women go for the top 20% of men. Only Can you explain that better than I can? Yes. Yeah, so that's the 80-20 rule. And it's kind of based on the Pareto distribution. Um which applies in economics and business across the board that, um, you know, a sort of a a small percentage at the top 
accounts for the attention of, you know, the majority at 80%. So there is some data behind this, you know, that um, at least when it comes to sort of initial matches, uh, there is most of the attention given to a small percentage at the top of these chads or giga chads. And then the, the bottom 20 really get ignored almost entirely. Um, again, uh, this is data that comes from, you know, fairly large uh, sample size studies from social media and apps like Tinder and things, but um, that I don't think is the whole picture when it comes to actual, you know, real life relationships. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. What are red pills and black pills? So the pills, um, the first kind of usage of that was from the movie The Matrix, where yep. uh, Neo is offered the blue pill or the red pill. And the blue pill is kind of uh, blissful ignorance. You know, you go on in, in this kind of just world idea without knowing the truth. And the red pill allows you to see the harsh truths of reality, but it gives you this knowledge. Um, the red pill is a term that's used in all kinds of other circles, not just in cells, but the manosphere writ large, which would include groups like MGTOW and the men's rights activists, MRAs, among others. And it's also used in sort of the far right or kind of traditionalist circles. Um, and the black pill is what the incels defer to, if you can say that they have any kind of ideology, though I'd ar argue that it isn't exactly one, but it's more sort of fatalistic. The red pill tells you this is the way human beings behave, but you can sort of game the system if you behave in this way, where the black pill kind of just says, this is the way it is, and there's nothing you can do to change that. Um, and here are studies that back it up. So it's a collection of, of studies that back up the fact that they have lost the genetic lottery and therefore, you know, it's over for them. Man. And then the last one's normies and cucks. So normies are just people that are, you know, hmm. unaware of any of this. Okay. I, I'm a normie until, until after this interview, then I'm no longer a normie, I guess. <laughs> you probably still a normie. <laughs> Possibly even a, a Chad. A Chad? Uh, Get out of here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. Normies are just people that, you know, aren't 
in incels will we'll use normies to just describe people that aren't incels basically um okay. and a cuck uh, comes from the word you know cuckold um mm. which is kind of the, the sexual fetish of wanting to be humiliated by oh, okay. having yeah uh for a, a man who wants to be humiliated i think by having his wife's or woman sleep with another man um but they have taken the term to just say things are cucked you know that's cucked if it's oh uh, like mm, you know someone who's maybe uh willing to spend money on a date or something that's cucked mm, you know this ah. guy's a cuck if he stands up for this or that it's just kind of a, become a, a general pejorative right the kind of guy who's maybe a normie or even a, a chad and doesn't realize and then does a lot of these sort of maybe uh, socially correct things. Well, a Chad would never be a cuck, but... Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> but, a, but a normie <laughs> absolutely would. A, a beta would. Okay, so it's like, oh, you idiot. You don't, you're getting screwed and you don't realize it. Mm -hmm. You bloody cuck. Okay, yeah. gotcha. It's a good word. It's you know, it rhymes with fuck. It's got that kind of like, you know, it's, it's good. Yeah, a lot of them do. Weighty. Yes, exactly. <laughs> God. Okay. So, do these people want to change? Do they want to move up in the world and become normies? Is that, or they, or they're just resigned to, yeah, a life of being, what was, it, what was being an incel, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um. <laughs> so it's kind of complicated. The, the goal of every incel, which is what makes this group, uh, for people that consider it a movement, I don't personally, but. But makes it different than others in that there isn't pride in being an incel. They all want okay. to ascend, which is their word, ascend out of inceldom. Wow. Um, I've spoken to many who have ascended in our, you know, the time of our acquaintance. So if you, if you uh, sleep with someone, you know, without having to pay for it or whatever, then that's ascending. Um, there are some that uh, feel just very resigned that that will never happen. They consider themselves true cells. A lot of them kind of feel that way, but in my opinion, that's just, like I said, it's kind of a, a young person's inability to see things changing and it's kind of being self-indulgent as young people tend to be, you know. Yeah, I was so self-indulgent. Why are they <laughs> linked so often in the media, of course, to white supremacy? I, I think school shootings in the States, that kind of thing. I mean, it does is that talked about on these fora, fora forums? Yes, <laughs> it is talked about on the, on the fora quite a bit. Um, mm. That began with the first incident in 2014 with the Isla Vista attack here in the United States, where Elliot Roger sort of famously, um, he... You know, he stabbed two of his roommates. He uh, perpetrated a, a shooting on a, a busy street in his college area. And um, he released a, a manifesto, like a 150-page manifesto, and uh, also some YouTube videos where he detailed sort of every narcissistic injury he'd ever had and all his grievances and that he was doing this because he wasn't getting attention that he felt he deserved from from women from girls um he never called himself an incel he didn't use that word he had uh, visited the proto incel fora that existed at the time um one which still exists 
but isn't really, you know, has made a very concerted effort to distance itself from incels. It's a subreddit called Forever Alone. Um, and another one called PUA Hate, which is based on the pickup artist movement that was it gained a lot of steam in the mid-aughts. If you remember that book, The, the, game, yeah, the game by Neil the, Strauss. The Game, yep. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I had a friend who read that, and I was like, "Man, what, you know, you got to just such nonsense. Go up to a woman and and, crit- and criticize her, and then she's just yeah. going to fall in love with you." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I mean, people criticize me all the time. I don't fall in love with them, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, you know, I suppose it might work for some very insecure uh, young women, um, but uh, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty bad. Um, but that kind of became a movement in and of itself where there were these self-styled gurus of POA that were basically just exploiting people, you know, taking them on these weekend retreats to teach them the art of seduction or whatever it was. And so incels kind of, you know, were re- reaction to this in a sense that they, they had tried POA and felt it, it didn't work. And if they learn from the best, then they must really be doomed. So this site PUA Hate was one of the first sort of incel sites. And Elliot Roger had gone on that site and he actually didn't like it. He wrote about not not really agreeing with it. So he really wasn't an, an incel yeah. in, in the way that most incels, even though they ironically kind of call him a saint and things, they don't really see him that way. Um, but it started with that. The media kind of called him an incel killer. There were a few copycats that happened after that. And the link with white supremacy um, was made a little bit further down the road. I think there was a lot going on politically that led to that uh, association being made. Um, Just also the idea of the entitled uh, young white man, you know, living in their mother's basement there were articles from, you know, pretty reputable outlets that made that link um, way before there was a lot really written about incels at all. So it kind of stuck. A lot of people consider it a gateway to the alt-right and things like that. So basically, um, I think there's kind of been like a bit of a moral panic about that um, and also about like misogyny and a lot of these sort of cultural issues that happened around the same time. Um that contributed, but um, it's also that there's uh, there is a, a crossover in some ways. You know, both the white supremacists and incels have kind of anti-progressive, anti-feminist ideas for some obvious reasons. There's some language that kind of crosses over both. Um, you know, they both use this kind of subversive, fortune culture with incels i would say it tends to be a bit more ironic than it mm. does with the the extreme right um but there is some some crossover but it's i don't think one is a gateway to the other at all um but that that link was was made by the media by some very reputable outlets that these are young white men that live in their mother's basement and uh you know and hate women um and it's kind of stuck even though mm. they're not all white <laughs> oh right of course yeah, yeah. so i mean so th- this is the thing as a journalist i guess so 
Uh, I mean, I interviewed, for example, a paedophile, right? And I think there are some crossovers, uh, obviously not in terms of orientation, but there must be paedophiles who are incels who know that they're sort of, they are involuntary celibates just by, you know, if they are non-offenders, that is, of course. Right. And I sort of got into that group and it was because it Mm -hmm. fascinated me and I wanted to see sort of how the other lives and all Mm -hmm. this kind of thing. And I put out an episode months ago with a guy and it had the title an interview with a pedophile and the reviews i suddenly got loads of one stars and so i changed the title of that episode to just like we need to talk about uh, the guy's name which was silas it's Mm -hmm. his fake name pseudonym so and he is you know he's an 18 year old kid he's the head boy of his school like the class president and he is a pedophile pedophile as in as in children or like hebophile like young i'm just curious because there's a distinction i know so he specifically i think i remember was as as you would say a hebophile like 13 12 uh-huh. maybe 11 mm-hmm. but in my research because i was gonna i was writing a book um, so I met loads of different people. I even met like a, a a woman recently in Germany who's 25 and she's a pedophile uh, and is attracted to babies. So you call it an infantophile. So she's incredibly rare. Yeah, horrible stuff. But again, a non-offender, she would never, ever act on that. Mm-hmm. But what I was getting to is that people, it's like they want to link you to the thing, uh, you know, and and... People I looked in your reviews, there were mostly five-star reviews. And then you get these one-stars who are, I guess they're pissed off that you're not take, holding them to account. Is that what it is? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, in addition to those bad reviews, which, you know, um, I don't think that they are mostly five-stars at, at this point. There are loads of one-star <laughs> reviews, I, I think. Um, and uh, uh, It's about half and half. Yeah, it ends up right there in the in the middle in that territory that's not really great for your your uh, Apple Pod rankings. Mm. But you know what? You know what? If I can interject on that, that's that's a really interesting thing. And I think about the difference between sometimes IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes with movies because a film can have a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes and be quite average, mm-hmm. but it's just like everybody quite liked it. Uh, yeah. Whereas, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes, it, it could have like a 40%, but the 40% loved it. And 60% were like, oh, man, it just wasn't quite right for my tastes or whatever. So it's so unfair that the rating, the ratings were never like, oh, well, she's not very good at talking. And like the 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 quality of the podcast is bad or anything like that. It was just like, I don't like incels. So I'm giving this podcast a low review. <laughs> Well, thank you for saying that. I I tend to agree. I I guess there are many that think that they're offering constructive criticism. And I don't think that the reviews are a place to do that necessarily anyway. But, um, you know, to your point, I I agree because I was thinking about this at one point. And if you look at, um, you know, films like the the ones that get the highest rating would be like an Adam Sandler comedy. Or something like that. <laughs> Not on Rotten Tomatoes, it wasn't. Maybe I, I am. No, like. no, on uh, Amazon. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, whereas I think his the best movie, the Paul Thomas Anderson one or whatever, gets you know a pretty low score because it's controversial. Um, yeah. But yeah, that they do want to link you to the thing, and and with me specifically, this is the only. Uh, this is the, that's the title of the show. A lot of people are not happy with that. The people were calling for it to be cancelled and taken down even before it was released, before they could really hear what it was. The, the negative ones, you know, continue to come in. I've had entire podcasts devoted to uh, basically insulting me and 
you know, calling me uh, a failed actress, desperate for attention, giving advice uh, to, you know, platforming dangerous misogynists and and telling someone who has rape fantasies to to go see sex workers. Oh, well, I mean... The fa- I love the failed actress stuff because it's just so personal and unnecessary and ridiculous. And I bet those yeah. people have got like be kind written on their Twitter profile. They always have that. It's always the be kind ones, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They're so, uh, you know, sanctimonious. And uh, this one, you know, there was this one podcast that, that one that I'm thinking of, um, which decided to look at an interview that I I did with uh, a young man who was very humble, very honest, like extremely candid and had no hatred toward anyone. And he Mm. was talking about some of his sort of, you know, fantasies and just being very honest about it. And they weren't violent. He had no intentions to be violent. Um, He and he was actually talking about something that's quite common in the age now of pornography and things like that um kind of like a a fetish type thing and so my conversation with this person um if they had listened through to the whole thing he actually ends up um asking for advice about um getting counseling and finding affordable counseling and um i I sent him a link to this association that i know that that does charge on a sliding scale and um and he ended up doing it he started he started, you know, counseling, like psychotherapy, um, and is doing a lot better now. And, you know, they didn't know that, but usually I, I know that I'm best to not even respond to these things, but, um, but I did, it was, they caught me in a moment and I said, you know, now, well, like now this, this guy is, a uh, you know, in, in therapy now. So if, if you're actually so concerned about sex workers, as you say you are, cause that was their sort of cause, um, th- isn't it better that someone who you think might have been, you know, a danger to them is in treatment? Um, <clears throat> or, or is it better that you're saving the world with your tweets? You know, they didn't respond to that. <laughs> that's so typical. Oh, that's so typical. Yeah. This is, this actually annoys me because, you know, I think any therapist, the ones I've spoken to about these kinds of people on the edge, I don't usually quote my podcast name in the middle of a podcast, but I just, on the edge. Um, but <laughs> I just happen to do that by accident. I do it every five words. <laughs> <laughs> in some. But yeah, I mean, most therapists will have told me about these people. So pedophiles, for example, uh, the number one risk factor in them uh, offending, a lot of them have never offended, the vast majority have mm-hmm. never. The yep. number one risk factor is stigmatization and, and being yep. made to feel, you know, and I, I, incels must be the same, of murderers course. must be the same, anyone who does of bad course. stuff. So it's it's all well and good for a lot of these people to be just going, having a go, not just at you, at me as well for stuff I've done before and just going and sitting behind their computers and tweeting and saying, oh, you're talking mm-hmm. about things that make me feel uncomfortable and here's a reason why you're... But, you know what you do with some of these insults if this person's gone to therapy for example because somebody who is a normie or a, a stacy or you're not a, i don't you're not a, you know bimbo or whatever it was, but you know took the time to speak to them and listen and even though you might have been thinking in the back of your mind sometimes you know oh i'm not sure about this or that that they've said that's a bit bad at least they're talking to someone they're going to therapy instead of potentially sh- sometimes shooting up a school or in my yeah. case with, with this pedophile guy instead of instead of offending if you yeah. say to them you're part of society we mm-hmm. we respect you as a human being. You don't mean to feel this way and we're going to help you. You know, so then for these people to just sit there and just shout, you know, type stuff at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, 
the dehumanization of any group of people is, you know, they are human. All human beings are human. And to dehumanize people to that extent, not only um, does it inevitably make them worse, but it also sort of confirms if it's a, a someone like it's a little bit different with a, a pedophile or a murderer even, but someone that's it's in kind of a community where they have like a designated enemy, you know, um, women, normies, whatever. Mm. And the, the people that fit into that out group for them, um, indeed treat them how they expect. So it's self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, exactly. It just yeah. reinforces, it confirms their belief that they're being persecuted. It will only make things worse. If they're not allowed to talk, then what's the only recourse they have? Sometimes they think it's violence. And, you know, I think it might go without saying, but maybe not. That is also just exceedingly rare uh, in the incel community as it is pedophiles, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, I, I, it's what you're saying is, is very similar to some of the stuff Jesse Morton was saying about religious extremists as well. Like if you, he, he just tries to make them feel like, hey, we're not judging you. Let's talk and let's get the violence down before just going in there, all guns blaring, saying, I disagree with you. It's not, then when that terrorist or when that pedophile or when that incel goes and maybe hurts somebody, you know, you, you go, that person can go back on there and be happy they made a tweet that shouted at them. I mean, mm -hmm. you got to bring people around. And I think some of them are, I hate to say it, but I think some of them kind of feel um, righteous or vindicated or excited or something when an incident, a tragedy happens because then they get to be virtuous one. It confirms their narrative. Yeah. It's mad. The other thing is, what because it's the podcast medium is not necessarily conducive to having those kinds of debates where you are calling people out. And I sometimes get the odds review and stuff where people say they would they wish I called people out a bit more. Um, and it's not the same as making a documentary where you're going to investigate potentially like a bad person and show what they've done and that kind of thing. Because you're emailing and, you know, you and I have been tweeting each other or messaging all week. Let's say you were somebody whose views I disagreed with. So I'm going to invite you on and then I'm going to sit here on the other side of the webcam to you. You know, you've given up your evening and I'm going to tear into you for whatever beliefs you might have or, you know, and then we go, okay, thanks for that. Uh, bye bye. It's not. Yeah. If you want that kind of debate, it really has to probably be documentaries. Just stuff. turn on the TV. Uh, documentaries <laughs> yeah. are, are just, you know, that, that's the way our news media is now. Yeah. It's just people shouting each other down and, and holding each other to account and, and all of this. And it's all theater and it's all nonsense and it's completely counterproductive. Um, it might feel good in the moment. It's like watching some kind of a, you know, really bad sparring match. But um, it's not, if you want to learn about anything, and for me, if I actually want to learn about this community and, and build a rapport with them, you know, which I, I have at this point, um, that it would have never happened that way. Someone would just shut down. I, I find that kind of thing really completely pointless. Yeah, and then and then you just uh, don't ever investigate or hear the voices from the one percent, and the one percent are the incels, they're the pedophiles, they're the psychopaths, uh, the terrorists. This, this is the one percent of people, uh, and they live among us, and we need to hear about mm -hmm. them, and learn about them. Exactly. So, given in mind what we've just said about this sort of critical approach, what would you criticize the community as a whole for, if you could? Um, I mean. 
lots of things. <laughs> uh, and a lot of them aren't, you know, so much their fault, but that they could be uh, sort of, I understand why they need a space for this. And, you know, some of them are very articulate in their arguments for that too. This is a place where they can go and discuss these things without shame um, and without sort of the judgment they normally feel and that everyone should have a space for that. Um, on the other hand, the fact that it becomes kind of a silo where they don't allow outside voices um, they're sort of banned from the community if they ascend or brag or do these other things leads to, you know, even more of an echo chamber. Um, I also think that initially, and I think that this is due to two things. I think that one, it's just me seeing more of it, but two, I think it's also sort of the environment changing a bit. Um, it's that I think initially I saw that there was a lot of sort of sparring in there, a lot of teasing, a lot of egging each other on um, in a way that I think can be and, and is to a degree healthy, um, you know, for people to sort of play that way, kind of thicken their skin. It's the way that like boys play. And in our modern culture, a lot of that is kind of frowned upon and, you know, children should never fight and scrap and you know this is looked at as like toxic masculinity when I don't think it's such a bad thing I think it can sort of be healthy um but there's lately I've noticed that there's been that that's really dominated the, the community now in the time that between when I started this and now every subreddit um that was an incel related one has been banned you know, the, this forum started out with the first r slash incels being banned in 2017 um, for supposedly for celebrating the Las Vegas shooting here, though that was not sure. an incel okay. at all. Um, but um, there were other sites, you know, little ones, smaller subreddits. There was one called Brain Cells. There was one called Ask an Incel, uh, all these other, you know, and, and they've sort of summarily been banned one after another. And lately, over the past six months or so, um, they're all being banned. Even one that was called Incels Without Hate hmm. was banned for for promoting hate speech, which is, you know, it, it sort of explicitly, even in the title, stated that, you know, that was not something that they were tolerant of or um, so, you know, that that hasn't been good. It's, it's led to uh, more scrutiny on this community and sort of an ang angrier, I would say, um, flood of people coming in. Um, there's also, because now this is the only, well, actually, I have to add something to that, but because this sort of incels.co site, the one that I, I talk to the moderators and administrators of on my show a lot, has become the only place um, that's led to the little sort of rivalries and um, f splitting and splintering and factions that happen with, with any kind of group like that, where there's jealousies and things like that. So it's, it's led to all this paranoia and all this kind of stuff. Now I forgot to mention that as of just a week ago, they actually lost their domain. They, they've been suspended off of their domains too. So without oh. explanation as of yet. So that, that uh. story is unfolding ongoing. Oh, right.
but yeah, I, I think it's um it's become more negative, and and I think that uh more I'm hearing from more and more people that um you know it's kind of it makes them more depressed or just that there's too much real kind of negativity and, and shit posting on it. So I listened to some of the episodes and they're enthralling and you're, you're speaking to people who are sitting there, you know, ingesting heroin and uh, drink and crystal meth and that kind of thing. And they're just all over the place from Britain and the US from what I've heard. And, uh, you know, so you get quite close to these people. You speak to them many times. Is there any part of you that is concerned that these are people who have had very, very little interaction with women um, and that you are not just any woman, you're you know, an actress and singer and this and that and do things ever cross over into an uncomfortable area? Yes, it doesn't happen often, um, but it has happened. There's one interview that I did, um, I think maybe it was almost a year ago uh, at this point, the initial interview with someone who called himself grotesque subhuman um, at the time, who was a very troubled person who had a history of actually gotten into legal trouble a few times for becoming fixated with women. Um, and at one point he was threatening to uh, what was the word acid face them, which is something that comes from. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, Chuck Acid, that's awful. Yeah, exactly. How was he with you? Well, um, he was very, I thought, candid and, and sort of easy to, to talk to. And I thought our first interview, actually, it was shocking, but it went it went well. But he reached out to me, as, as most of them do now. Very early on, I was reaching out to them. Um, but now I get requests to come on the show all the time, you know, Um but after the episode aired, um, he kind of uh, turned and he was upset with it. He thought that I had made him look bad or something. He started sort of, you know, really going at me and harassing me and making YouTube videos about me and all this stuff. Oh but then God. he would kind of apologize and he would flip back and forth all the time. Um, and he had done this with, with therapists in the past, too. That's why the, the episode was called one-itis because that's what they call for you know the term for when you have like a crush on one person um mm. but since then um i i really tried not to take it personally when people would sort of link me to this content i'd ask them please don't you know i don't need to see it it's going to upset me but i kind of accept that this is part of the what content the, the stuff of him talking about you yeah, and the, the YouTube videos and all those things. Um, but you need to be aware, don't you, just in case he is somebody who might... I mean, have you ever been... Were you scared? I mean, I've definitely been scared interviewing some of these kinds of people before. Um, No, actually. I I wasn't with him. I, I don't... I mean, look, I talk to these people online in some way or another. They don't know exactly where I live. I, I don't feel, I, I haven't felt that my physical safety was threatened with anyone that I've spoken to, just that there were some sort of unpleasant, um, you know, very unpleasant interactions that followed. But he stopped and we, we had another interview actually quite recently and he's doing a lot better too. He's also in therapy. He also ascended, you know, he met some woman on Tinder. I always made sure to kind of keep my... Uh, inbox open to him and let him know that. Very recently, I have been on the receiving end of a sort of stalking and harassment campaign from 
someone, an incel, who now I know who it is. That was very scary at first. Because it included threats to my family and (gasps) things like that. Um, I was able to figure out who it was um, pretty quickly and realized that it was a prank. I saw screenshots of him sort of responding to it in real time as he was doing it. And I realized he was just trying to scare and harass me. His goal being for me to stop doing the show, I think. And this was actually not anyone that I'd ever spoken to before. So This feels like something a lot uh, stronger than a prank. Yes. Well, it it seemed that way. Um, And I took it very seriously and went to the police and and everything. Um, Yeah. But uh, it it was a very, you know, that he had made some references to the the Joker and I think sees himself as kind of a criminal mastermind. Um, But he he lives abroad, so he can neither be arrested nor come to my house. (laughs) still that still scares me that stuff you know i've had people on here who have done things like they've uh, gone into isis and done journalism there and i'm like oh my god no way and even just talking to like i had a psychopath on the show and i just remember thinking like don't try not to upset her because even though she lives in the state she lives in utah uh like she could find out or she might have a network of people and like why not just kill me it doesn't she doesn't care <laughs> How, how long have you been doing your show? Uh, it's about 10, 10 months. Oh. Mm. I haven't been killed yet. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that what you were thinking? You've... <laughs> you've gone this far without being killed? No, I was uh, impressed with your roster, actually. <laughs> oh, right. Psychopaths and this and that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think a lot of podcasts, I mean, look, you've seen it as well. Most podcasts out there, I don't want us to sound, I don't want to sound too self-congratulatory about the two of us, but mm-hmm. it's, it's mostly celebrities interviewing other celebrities and chatting mm-hmm. about whatever, and they all go on the same podcast over and over again. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of those podcasts don't have the sort of remit or the brief in their in their podcast to go, okay, I'm going to have a psychopath on this week, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's the fortunate thing. I mean, I've purposely said a very vague um, uh, brief with on the edge what does that mean you know (laughs) that's good though that's good well thank you so do you think with that guy you just spoke about in mind uh and i've heard it said as well about incels that it's often not the case that they're not good looking enough although that obviously plays into it but that a lot of them have maybe got mental illnesses and and the like yes overwhelmingly I, i mean i don't know what a lot of them look like we you know a lot of them I don't ask to see what they look like, but there are many that do contact me not to be on the show, but to show me photographs of themselves and ask me to rank them, which I tell them I do not do that. (laughs) Yes. But if you want uh, tips on which photo you should use for your dating profile, I can, I can do that for you. (laughs) Um, But so I, I do, I do know what a a bunch of them look like and they're not, you know, it's not that they are, that there are a few that I've spoken to that have spoken of having physical deformities and things like that. And that's kind of a different situation but that's rare. Um, the vast majority of them, you know, I don't know if you got to listen to that episode with, I think you did where I, you know, it was talking a little bit about autism spectrum disorder. Yes. And that speaker K, he said that it is, um, usually not about, about looks. It's about sort of social, social skills and social ability. And I think that that is true. And also that they're, um, according to polls that they do of their own community that get 
a sample size that, you know, most academics would dream of in terms of how many responses they get for these very long sort of surveys where I think they are very honest, um, that there's something like 25% have had a, an official formal diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder compared to, you know, the 2% across the general population and uh, something like 75% deal with depression and anxiety and things like that. So yeah, it's absolutely that. I, I think there are, you know, issues of physical appearance and popularity, but a lot of them also got bullied a lot as children and just have very low self-esteem. And that's definitely more of the issue than than just looks. Do you think a, a big proportion of your listeners are in cells or is it mixed? It's mixed, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's very mixed, but a lot of them are incels. A lot of incels listen to it. Um, a lot of sort of um, specialists in fields of about terrorism or extremism listen to it. And then there are just listeners that stumbled across it somehow. I was lucky enough to get a New York Times write-up early on. So, I, you know, I got a bunch of people through that that um, hmm. are just very kind of become deep and compassionate people and have formed little friendships with the incels because they'll interact on, on Twitter, on the, the show's Twitter page. And oh. that's been very sweet to see. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. And that's great with a lot of podcasts, the community feeling when it gets going like that. that yeah. It's really nice. The other thing is, I guess, at the beginning, I was asking you, you know, what led you into this uh, world? And in one of the podcast, one of the episodes I listened to, I think somebody asked how you are. And you said you weren't doing too well. Do you feel like that is something that you can relate to with them? I mean, how how are you feeling at the moment? Um, just at the moment, um, I feel fine. But I've certainly struggled with depression, anxiety, loneliness. You know, I was in um, an industry or a field that was very locust, Um and it might be kind of coming, approaching it from a, a very different uh, entry point. But um, I, maybe there's something there that I, I could relate to, just being very sort of fed up with being um, judged on my appearance or valued for it or, you know, um, getting jobs or not based on it. it, it there's something... You know, I, I find not just that industry, but society in general has become sort of to your point earlier um, about the lack of religion or, or spirituality or whatever um, in our age um, as just being very narcissistic, very materialistic, you know, very shallow. Um, deep questions aren't really held or discussed or answered in, you know, places that are kind of consumed by most people there's a lot of very shallow sort of you know it's mm. a, a media thing too and um yeah i think i find their their issues and their kind of grievances and their fears relatable i, I think most people would if they were honest with themselves must be very frustrating yeah if you're an actress and you don't get the job because of that so i, I can see how that must be irritating after years of trying to break through well, yeah, or, or even not something as, you know, as direct as that, but just knowing that you're going to go into some place and that you're going to be judged on your appearance or that people will assume that you are a certain way because you look a certain way. 
there that you're not as deep or intelligent or, you know, because you're just some bimbo that wants to be mm. famous. I mean, it's, it can, I can go on and on about how sort of, uh, disgusting and discouraging that being in that, that world is, um, always having to worry about your weight and being put together all the time. And, you know, now I don't have to do that. Yeah. Do you feel better <laughs> out of it? Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. I'm happy. <laughs> Given what you've, you've said, uh, about depression and, and loneliness, do you feel like talking to the incels has been in some ways therapeutic to you? Yeah. Um, yes, of course it has. Um, and it's hard to know exactly why in a lot of ways it sort of tested things that I believed to, you know, um, their opinions and their beliefs about, uh, women, especially the most negative ones and the sort of the ugliest stereotypes that they believe have been difficult to, um, to just kind of be flooded with all the time. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really want to, I don't talk about my, my personal life at, at all on the show and kind of want to limit that for, I think, obvious reasons. Um, but I got, well, I, I think that, sorry, I'm being a little bit scattershot here because it's a, it's a good question and a complicated one. That's okay. You just take your time as, you know, Okay. Um, so yeah, I think it's been therapeutic because there's been something grounding about it and actually developing friendships where I realize that I have the trust of people who feel very sort of uncared for and unseen, um, is rewarding, very rewarding. And having to sort of give, um, advice, the blue pilled advice that I, I reserve for those that I speak to for a while, the blue pilled sort of normie advice about mental health and things. Um, having to remind people of that is always, you know, you, you hear yourself when you say that too. So you can kind of take heed, um, of your own advice. So there's, there's that aspect of it. And then, um, there's the, you know, Early on, I was um, accused often of becoming, um, of having drank the Kool-Aid, you know, mm. or... Too much sympathy for for them. Yeah, and becoming brainwashed, you know, and beginning to believe these things that aren't true. And that was, you know, an interesting question because there were some times that I sort of had to question it too. And, you know, when I'd also be accused of being very unethical and, and not being qualified for this and that, um, having to sort of wonder, am I actually talking to these people that are really just, uh, nefarious bad actors that are recruiting people for these purposes? And are they using me, you know, to further their evil agenda? Um, and I, I don't believe that that's the case. Um, but I got, um, I got some good advice from, from, a military friend of mine early on that he said, when you talk to uh, terrorists or extremists or murderers, you know, the, the worst of the worst, um, keep a ground wire, like a true North, something that, you know, in your heart is true or that you love, you know, whether it's like someone in your life that you, that you love that might've 
died or someone that you care for, a child, something like that. And, and just remember that thing when you feel like you might be being sort of led astray um, or being tricked. And that's been, that's been important. I, I really do feel that when I sort of question myself. Um, if you sort of think about that thing that you know is true and that you know is love and that you know is good and that you know is real, um, then it can sort of, I think it can help you um, navigate that. So it's, it's allowed me to sort of actually maybe reaffirm things that I believed but didn't know how strongly I believed. And it's definitely also um, gotten me to grow a thicker skin, <laughs> inviting all of this negativity. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. That was a great answer just now, by the way. Uh, she's so very honest. I, I think that's the beauty of having on somebody who who does these kind of endeavors, your kind of work, is that there's no point bullshitting anymore. There's just no point. It's boring. It's actually boring. Yes. It's so yes. boring. That's, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm bored of listening to things people think they're supposed to say. And yes. it, it's very refreshing to hear how you speak about uh, your feelings about about the, the bad you know the bad things people have said to you and and also your concern for remaining grounded or true to your yourself and your opinions while in with some people some some of whom have have quite extreme views well thank you um <laughs> it was a great question sort of cathartic just even answering it I loved talking to Nama. I don't know how you all felt, but I thought it was really great to see how she was able to open up more towards the end. As my questions became perhaps a little more invasive, she didn't shy away and met me head on. We finished talking at around 2am my time, so I felt exhausted, both physically and emotionally, from the topics and what I felt was the intensity of the discussion. And it was tough to get to sleep after that. But you know, this is why I started making the podcast, to speak to people exactly like Nama and to hear about the world she entered. So thank you so much for giving us not only your time, but also so much of you. I also hope that the listeners to her Insel podcast stream had their curiosity peaked enough to check back in with the On The Edge with Andrew Gold podcast for more such piercing and controversial interviews. My listeners can find her on at Nama Cates on Twitter and get her podcast Incel on all the usual podcast apps. Thank you to my sponsor, Babbel. As a reminder, don't forget to use the EDGE promo code, just EDGE, for six months free with a purchase of a six-month subscription. Also, I'm writing a book that is currently with a literary agent waiting to go to publishers about the science of secrets. And I have a totally anonymous survey going right now that I'd love for you to answer about your own secrets and things like sex, masturbation, abortions, nose picking, habits and politics. The link is in the show notes and also on my Twitter and Instagram, Andrew Gold underscore okay now a note about the ads i've just started ads as some of you have heard some people have voiced some opposition to them people don't like to listen to them and i understand that the thing is i want to sort of explain openly and honestly how the whole system works when you're a podcaster most podcasts earn uh, nothing i think 99.9 percent of them i think i think over 50 percent only get 
something like 52 listeners or something a, a week. But once you get to a certain level, you start to get uh, host read ads. I was very fortunate to get this week's one with a language app, uh, Babbel, because I love languages. I've spoken to you about that before and it, it felt very real. And so, so what I've been told, the way it works is each podcaster has a certain score and that score goes up if my listeners use my promo code, right? So the more that is used, the more my score goes up and the more I'm able to earn uh, from the adverts, if you get what I mean. So it's a whole complicated thing. Um, so look, if you want to support the podcast, please do use the promo code and stuff. But more than anything, I hope that you're not perturbed and disturbed by the ads. You know, they, they last a minute. There's a couple of them in the, in the middle. I try and make them as fun as possible. So I hope that you stick with me despite it. It's the only way. I can't see any other way to to be able to do this uh, professionally. Uh, so thank you for your patience. And, and hopefully, you know, the whole point of ads is that some of you actually like the stuff that goes out. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. And if you really don't like them, you can, of course, sign up to patreon.com slash Gold. That's where you can avoid ads. You get the ads-free version. Um, it helps support the podcast, of course. It's only about three pounds. A, it's three pounds a month. Just what is it? Seventy p an episode, or less than a dollar uh, in the US per episode. And you'll get the episodes uh, almost a week early each time. And there'll be the bonus interviews. Here's a snippet from this week's one. I, I love how Americans speak, and I love all the different accents and the variation. But even Jesse Morton said this. I didn't pick him up on it because he's a very, very serious man. But uh, I could care less, he said. I could care less. It doesn't... Oh, it makes... I know. <laughs> I, Yeah, I know. It's I couldn't care less. I've, I've had to explain that to people. But then their usual response to me is, well, I could care less what the proper <laughs> way to say it is. <laughs> it's a funny one. I mean, we obviously do the same thing in, in the UK. It's just that particular one. I've, ne we ne I've never heard a British person say that. It's a very American. I could care yes. less. You know. Yeah, I could care less. I'm like... Mm. <laughs> Well, that means you you possibly that implies could, that you care some yeah. <laughs> Even if it's a tiny bit, you definitely care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what turns you on, spiritually, emotionally? You know, not not sexually. Yeah. Um, honesty, authenticity. Um. So you'll get the rest of that on Patreon.com/slash Andrew Gold. Thanks to my new patrons this week, Christopher Highland, who's a British writer who just had a great book out called Tears at the Bombonera for those fans of international well, or foreign football or soccer. Check that out. And Robert Shine, who is my second cousin. So thanks, Rob. Glad you're still enjoying the podcast. Please do remember to review as well, everyone, as it helps with something or other, uh, something to do with the algorithm, who knows. I just think it helps. And it's nice for me to be able to read out, of course, as well, which I do every week. I should clarify that last week's review that I read out regarding the podcast Buffet for All was actually from Michelle, rather than a string of jumbled up letters as I had supposed. Thanks, Michelle, for getting in touch to clarify that. This week in the UK, Clara Egg reviewed on Apple to say, love such engaging, diverse conversations. Andrew Gold is super relaxed and approaches difficult subjects with great empathy and interest. Brackets. Shame about his dad jokes. His guests have some gripping stories to tell, which makes for absorbing content. Thank you very much, Clara. And I can't tell I'm resisting making so many dad jokes now. And I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, right? But uh, I'm trying to think of one. Can't think of any jokes. 
right? Uh, MTO2 is a person in the US and they wrote, really interesting show. I stumbled upon the Andrew Gold podcast because there is some similar content to Sam Harris's one. I'm so glad I did. He scores some great interviewees, really interesting conversations and Andrew is a great podcast voice. Sometimes you do wish he would grill his guest a bit more, but he can't help that he is just a nice British guy. I binge listened to most of the past episodes and look forward to new content. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> I, it's funny, actually, because MTO2, because we do, we discussed that today with Nama and this whole thing of uh, it's, you know, it not being nice to invite someone onto your podcast and then to grill them in that way. And I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, I suppose. If you want to see me really grilling someone, check out, uh, go on YouTube and type uh, my name and then Exorcism BBC. And that's a documentary I did where, I mean, I really saw somebody who I thought was doing bad things. And I gave him a hard time, but maybe in a in a different way to to how some other people might do it. And maybe in a less confrontational way. But he did lock me in a cupboard by the end. Uh, well, like a like a closet space, and I thought he was going to kill me in the end. So check that uh, documentary out. Um, and next week on this podcast is my interview with Madeleine Black, who has her own podcast, Unbroken, after the name of her book, in which she details how she was gang raped and learned to forgive, in a way, her attackers. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>